Hey everyone, I'm so excited to tell you about our special guest on the TDF Nashville podcast, Miss Rhonda Paul. She's here to teach us something super cool about how God loves using his people, even when they're not perfect, to show his amazing love. Christmas is all about love and redemption, so Miss Rhonda will help us see how our messy pieces can be a part of something beautiful God is doing. So this Christmas, let's bring our messiness, and together we will learn about the awesome message of redemption that Jesus brings. Get ready for a fun and meaningful time with Miss Rhonda. Hi, I'm Rhonda Paul, and I would like to talk to you today about a book by Max Lucado, God Never Gives Up on You. It's the story of Jacob from Genesis chapters 25 through 35. Jacob came from a great family line. His grandfather was Abraham. And Abraham's son, Isaac, married Rebekah, the sister of Laban. Rebekah was pregnant with twins, and the babies jostled or shoved each other within her. So she went to God and asked, what's going on? He told her, two nations are in your body, and two groups of people will be taken from you. One group will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So they were born with Esau first and Jacob second, but grabbing Esau's heel. Now Esau was a hunter and outdoorsman, and Isaac loved Esau, and Jacob was a mama's boy, and Rebekah loved Jacob. But Jacob was chosen by God to continue the covenant that God had made with Abraham. So we would assume then that Jacob would be listed with the holiest of people, yet he married two sisters but loved only one. He was passive while his wives squabbled. He slept with the maids. His family worshipped foreign gods. He chose to do nothing when his son slaughtered an entire village. His favorite son was sold into slavery by his brothers. He spent two decades as a fugitive. Jacob was a sneak who never preached, prophesied, or said anything worthy of being framed. But if you're wondering if God could use a person who doesn't have it all together— then the story of Jacob is what you need. God declared himself to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God used Jacob in spite of Jacob. That's grace. And grace isn't only as good as you are. Grace is as good as God is. In Genesis 25, Esau comes home from hunting, and he was hungry. Jacob was cooking, and it smelled good, so he says, give me something to eat. Well, Jacob says, what's it worth to you, because I want your birthright. And Esau says, what good's a birthright if I'm dead? Now, Esau wouldn't have starved. He was bigger. He could have taken the food. Instead, he agreed. Now, the birthright had to go to the firstborn, but the firstborn could sell it, and Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. So the birthright is sold, and then in Genesis 27, the blessing is stolen. Isaac was old, frail, and mostly blind. He wasn't feeling good. So he said to Esau, I'm about to die. Go hunt and cook me the food that I like, and I will give you your blessing. But Rebekah overheard this, and she told her plan to Jacob. And Jacob said, even a blind man can tell I'm not Esau. So they plotted together how to fool Isaac, and Isaac fell for the ruse, and he blessed Jacob. 
Then Esau comes in wanting his blessing. And the Bible says that Isaac trembled violently when he realized what happened. Can you imagine your child deceiving you like that? He told Esau, I have blessed Jacob, and indeed he shall be blessed. And the Bible said that Esau cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, Bless me also, O my father. But Isaac said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. And Esau hated Jacob and said, I will kill my brother. Rebecca heard this and she warned Jacob. She told him to go while the going was good and Jacob ran. But before we look too hard at Jacob, though, what about us? You know, we too get tired of waiting and we cut corners, we cheat, we deceive. We may get what we won't do in that, but not without consequences. Jacob's lie had consequences. He got his birthright and his blessing, but his family was splintered. He was without a home. He had to run for his life. His twin hated him and wanted to kill him. He had betrayed his father's trust, and as far as we know, he never saw his mother again. Jacob left a broken family behind and set off for modern-day Turkey about 550 miles. At the end of the second day, he stopped and took a stone for his pillow and lay down to sleep. In Genesis 28, there Jacob dreamed and saw a ladder resting on the earth and reaching up into heaven, and he saw angels of God going up and down the ladder. Then Jacob saw the Lord standing above the ladder. Despite Jacob's deception, God repeated to him the blessing that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. When Jacob woke up, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He took his pillow and made it a pillar and christened the place Bethel, God's house. The promise of Jacob and Bethel is this. The Lord is in the wilderness, in despair, in misery, in mess, and mayhem, and even in broken hearts. God will meet you in your desert, and your pain can become a place of worship. And you too can say, the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. In Genesis 28, Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. If and then. You ever prayed those kind of prayers? Maybe something like, if you get me out of this mess, then I'll never. But there is no quid pro quo with God. There's no tit for tat, no our part and God's part. God likes us. But he is not like us. God is above all of this. He's the most high over all the earth. And there is nothing we have, nothing we can do that God needs. God doesn't exist for us. We exist for God. Yet, God is not turned away by our request. He is compassionate 
and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in love. But he will not be reduced to a God of quid pro quo. In Genesis 29, Jacob makes it to Haran, meets Rachel as she comes to water her father's sheep. Jacob rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then he kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Jacob's story includes words like cheater, deceiver, trickster, and liar. Jacob was a bit of a mess. But through Jacob's story, we see that God uses flawed people. He doesn't throw us out. He does, however, let us reap what we sow. So dear Uncle Laban took him home, called him his own flesh and blood, and after a month asked him what his wages should be. And Jacob asked to marry Rachel. Laban said, work for me for seven years and you can marry her. Verse 20 says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only a few days to him because of his love for her. He was really smitten with that girl. So there was a great feast and there must have been a lot of wine because when Jacob woke up, it wasn't Rachel in his bed. It was Leah. The trickster had been tricked. He got a taste of reaping what he sowed. Laban explained to him that he couldn't let the younger girl marry before the older and to give Leah her bridal week, and then he could marry Rachel if Jacob worked for Laban for seven more years. So if there's one thing that Jacob is famous for, it's his family. Everyone has heard of the 12 tribes of Israel. Wife one Leah had four sons for Jacob, but no love. Rachel had Jacob's love, but no sons. In chapter 30, Rachel, Rachel tells Jacob, Give me sons or I'll die. So she said, Here's my maid, Bilhah. Sleep with her so I can have a child. So Bilhah has two sons. Now Leah is falling behind, so she gives her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob. And Zilpah had two sons. I wonder what the maids felt about all of this. But the sisters hated each other. Leah was unloved. Rachel only had children by her maid. And Reuben found some mandrakes. They were believed to have fertility-producing powers. And he gave them to his mother, Leah. Rachel asked Leah for them. And she goes, you took my husband. Now you want my son's mandrakes, too? And Rachel said, give me the mandrakes, and you can sleep with Jacob tonight. Can you envision that conversation when Jacob got home? Jacob had a dysfunctional family. But God uses dysfunctional families. Rachel finally became pregnant and had a son, Joseph. And Leah gave birth to a son named Judah. Among her descendants were a shepherd boy of Bethlehem named David and a carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. Leah was unchosen by Jacob, but chosen by God to be the mother in the bloodline of Christ. Jacob has now put up with the demanding, conniving, deceptive, manipulative Laban for 14 years. By now, Jacob has 11 sons and one daughter by four different women. 
Ten times in six years, Laban has altered the way he computed Jacob's wages. Then in Genesis 31, Jacob had a dream about streaked, speckled, or spotted goats, and in the dream, God told him something special. He told Jacob, I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. You know, sometimes we think God doesn't see us. It's nice to know God sees. God also tells Jacob, leave this land at once and go back to your native land. So Jacob decides to trust God. He turns in his resignation, and Laban says something unexpected. He told Jacob, please stay. I know now that God has blessed me because of you. So name your wages, and I'll pay it. Jacob asked that he be allowed to take out every streak, speckled, or spotted goat, and they would be his wages. And Laban said, fair enough, it's a deal. And then, before Jacob had a chance, Laban and his sons gathered up as many of the streaked, speckled, and spotted goats as they could find and moved them a three-day journey away. Laban cheated Jacob and his daughters and grandchildren once again. Still, over the next six years, Jacob got rich, acquiring huge flocks, lots of servants, camels, and donkeys. God rewarded Jacob's faith. And God used Laban to teach Jacob to trust God. Jacob didn't like Laban. He wanted to leave, yet he was better because of Laban. And at the end of six more years, though, Jacob had enough riches and enough of Laban. He loaded up and left for Canaan. Now, Jacob had to be worrying about Esau as he camped on the eastern side of the Jordan River near Jabbok. So God gave Jacob some assurance. Chapter 32 says the angels of God met him. Again, God shows Jacob angels. Maybe that gave him the courage to send his servants ahead to meet his brother. They were to tell Esau, your servant Jacob is coming back and hopes to find favor in your eyes. When the messengers came back, they said, we talked with your brother Esau and he's on his way to meet you but he has 400 men with him. The Bible says, In great fear and distress, that would have been me too, Jacob divided everything into two camps, thinking if he gets one, maybe the other will survive. And Jacob prays for God's protection from Esau. Then to try to soften Esau up, he sends over 500 animals arranged in six groups. He instructed each group to tell Esau that your servant Jacob is on his way behind us. After Jacob sent everyone and everything across the river, he stayed behind to spend the night alone. And in Genesis 32, it tells us that there a man wrestled with him until daybreak. I have to wonder how this happened. Was Jacob standing there watching everybody go across the river and then somebody comes up and grabs him and starts wrestling with him? But they wrestled all night, and when the man saw he couldn't get the best of Jacob, he deliberately threw Jacob's hip out of joint. The man said, let me go. It's daybreak. And Jacob says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. The man says, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. And the man said, that's no longer your name. From now on, it is Israel, for you've wrestled with God and you've come through. 
God told Jacob to return to the land of your relatives and I will be with you. But in order to return to that land, Jacob had to return to Esau. No more running. Jacob would have been happy to avoid it, but not God. To move forward in the future, Jacob had to come face to face with his past. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. But God's not put off by our ugly chapters. On the big day of the Esau encounter, Jacob limped back to his camp. Esau was coming with 400 men. He sent his family out first. He divided his children and their mothers and placed the maids with their children first, then Leah, the wife he didn't want, next, and finally Rachel, the wife he loved, and their son Joseph. But then came signs of the new Israel. Genesis 33 tells us that he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Then all of a sudden Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. The eyes of the twins met for the first time in 20 years, and they wept. They wept for relief and for forgiveness and for a new start. Maybe Esau wept because his brother was home. Maybe Israel wept because he had come face to face with his past, only to find that it had no more power over him. This isn't a story of Jacob's courage. It's a story of God's devotion. God led Jacob into his future by helping him face his past. Most of us need him to do the same for us. In Genesis 34, we have the tragic Shechem incident. The command God gave Jacob couldn't have been clearer. I am the God who appeared to you at Bethel, where you poured olive oil on the stone and you set up on end, and where you made a promise to me. Now I want you to leave here and go back. One item. Go to Bethel. Instead, Jacob left Laban and arrived safely at the city of Shechem in the land of Canaan. He bought a field where he had camped from Hamor, who was the ruler of the city, and the father of Shechem, the son had the same name as the city, 400 pieces of silver. Shechem was only 20 miles from Bethel. Jacob had covered 500 miles since leaving, but he stopped short. Shechem was a commercial center at the crossroads of trade routes. It's easy to imagine the lure. You know, they met some Shechem knights, they did some business, they bought land, they made a few friends, and Jacob lived to regret each choice. His only daughter, Dinah, around 15, went out to the city to visit the women. Shechem saw her and took her and forced her to have sexual relations with him. He kept Dinah at his house and told his father, Get me this young woman as a wife. Jacob got news of this, but did nothing until his sons came home from the field. Dinah's brothers weren't so passive. Hamor, the ruler, made an offer to the brothers, Give Dinah to my son, and I will give you anything you ask. Jacob didn't speak up. But Jacob's sons did. 
They told Hamor, we can't allow that until you are all circumcised. So Hamor convinced all the soldiers to be circumcised. He emphasized Jacob's lack of aggression and the financial gain that this could lead to. So every male in the city was circumcised. And three days later, while they were in the pain of healing, Dinah's brothers made a surprise attack on the city, killing all of the men there including Hamor and Shechem, and Rescue and Dinah. The sons of Jacob not only murdered the men, they looted the city, took their flocks and herds and donkeys, all their women and children, and everything in the houses. The sons of Jacob were covered in blood. And all Jacob had to say was, You have caused me a lot of trouble. Now the Canaanites will hate me. They will join together and attack us, and I will be destroyed. You know, no one called on God. No one prayed. God's name is not even mentioned in chapter 34. So the story ends. No heroes. No inspiration. Just depravity. So why is it even included in Scripture? Maybe because we need a reminder that apart from God, we are a total disaster. In Shechem, Jacob forgot who he was and what God commanded. His disobedience resulted in a devastated family, rape, carnage, sacrilege. Genesis 34 is the darkest chapter in the Jacob story. It's not that God wasn't present is that God was not salt. Surely by now, God's done with Jacob. But that's not what happens. God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there. Instead of giving up on Jacob, God spoke to him and directed him. God took the initiative. Whereas God's not mentioned in Genesis 34, his name appears ten times in the first 15 verses of chapter 35. Jacob's tent was still pitched in the shadow of Shechem, yet God came to Jacob, and Jacob came to his senses. Jacob told his household, get rid of the foreign gods, purify yourselves, change your clothes, we're going to Bethel. So they set out from Shechem, and the Bible says the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. The hero of the hour was not Jacob. The hero was God. It was God who moved Jacob, not Jacob who moved God. It was God who stepped in, not Jacob who looked up. Jacob forgot God over and over again. But God never once forgot Jacob. The one who promised to bless, blessed. And Jacob was confirmed yet again to be Israel. And that's grace. All grace. Each day seems to bring a new way for us to wander off course. What hope do we have? We have the same hope that Jacob had. Grace. No one is an exception to acceptance by God. With Christ we are complete, With Christ, we are made right with God. With Christ, we are holy and blameless 
and above reproach. God has made a covenant to love you with an everlasting love, and He will keep it. He did so with Jacob. The old patriarch finally made it back to Bethel. Jacob's story is our story. Jacob's life speaks to those of us who flounder and fail and flop. Jacob tricked and was tricked. He saw angels twice, and he heard God's voice three times. His name was changed, but his heart seemed less so. Jacob's story exists for the times that the Jacob within us wonders if God can use a person like me. And the answer is yes. That's pure grace. Grace is God's greatest idea, that He would treat us according to His heart and not ours, that He would see us and see His Son. Amazing grace. God does not stand on a ladder and tell us to climb it and find Him. He lowers a ladder in the wilderness of our lives, and He finds us. He doesn't offer to use us if we behave. He pledges to use us, knowing all the while that we will misbehave. Grace is not a gift for those who avoid the shadows of Shechem. Grace exists because none of us succeed in doing so. God loving, God stooping, God offering, God caring, and God carrying grace. God does great things through the greatly broken. It's not the strength of the vessel that matters. It's the strength of the one who can use it. You're not the sums of your sin. You are the sum of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. By the end of Jacob's story, his old earthen vessel is held together by Elmer's glue and duct tape. But he made it. Hebrews 11.21 says, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob died worshipping. May the same be said about us. And I'll leave you today with these thoughts. We don't have to be strong to be saved. We don't have to be perfect to be redeemed. We simply need to trust the God of Jacob. He is the God of second chances and new beginnings. He's the God of grace, and He never gives up on you. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk with you next time.